This morning we are beginning a new series of studies for this Advent season entitled, And the Soul Felt Its Worth. If you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn please to Matthew chapter 1 as we read together verses 1 through 6. And if you're watching from home on our live stream service this morning, likewise, if you have your Bible, turn with me please to Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew's gospel begins with these words. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Most of us at some point in our life have applied for a job. And as you apply for that job, we put together a resume. And we very naturally want to make sure that we get a resume right. Because we know that a potential employer will pick it up, will begin to look at dates and places, work experience, skills, abilities, consistency, background, and we want the resume to be compelling, inviting, attractive, engaging, something that an employer will look at and begin to read and then turn over, read the rest of the material, and keep going. You want it to capture their attention. Now, hold that thought in your mind let me paint a second picture this morning. And imagine that over the last 18 months, two years, you have been thinking about writing a book. And it's been running through your mind again and again and again. And you contact a publisher, and the publisher will tell you in order to even consider a book proposal, they need from you two, three pages of an eight and a half by 11 book proposal, outlining the book. What is the content? Why should a reader begin your book? How will it impact the life of the reader? What difference will it make to them? Why are you the person to write this book? And so they'll ask you for a book synopsis. Then they will ask you for a chapter-by-chapter -chapter synopsis that breaks down each chapter. And the day will eventually come when you've been planning and thinking and praying and carefully putting it all together when you start the opening words of chapter 1. What would you write? What would you write that would be so engaging, so attractive, so utterly compelling that the reader will read, then flip and flip and flip? and they will have that experience that many of us have had while reading, that the book itself you simply cannot put down. How would you begin? Now, if someone asked you to explain 
what Christmas is. And why do people in Austria and Australia celebrate Christmas? Why do people in Guatemala and Georgia celebrate Christmas? Why do people from Moscow to the Mississippi celebrate Christmas? If you were asked to explain Christmas, would you begin, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers? Is that where you would begin? Is that how you would begin a resume that is captivating? Is that how you would open the first chapter of a book you were writing? So the question is this, if you were writing a gospel, most of us, I think, would at least have a stab at Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was married to a man named Joseph. Good place to start. And in fact, I suspect that for most of us, whenever we come to Matthew's gospel, and we come to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, and we read Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, we skip over it and we read, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Because we're comfortable there, we're familiar there, it speaks into our lives. But how on earth does a list of unpronounceable names from unfamiliar places, how does it impact our lives? Does it have anything to say to us? And here's the amazing thing. Why on earth would Matthew begin this way? A family tree? Really? And as you read it, you know that it is a spectacular piece of writing. It is a wonderful gospel. But you may be tempted to think that as Matthew begins, he's one of those individuals who's a little obsessive-compulsive by nature. He's a detailed kind of individual. The kind of individual who goes to great pains to write, well dot every I, cross every T, and then pass on those pains to his readers. Is that what we're tempted to think when we come to this? So why does Matthew begin this way? Well, he begins this way for this reason, that within this list of names lies a profound biblical truth that you don't see at first glance casually cast your eye over a list of names. I don't know them. I don't know any of their family. I don't even know where they're from. And so, we're tempted to skip over and get on with the rest of the gospel. But the amazing thing is this. Who is on the list and who is not? If your college football team played yesterday, I imagine that probably Thursday and Friday you had a conversation perhaps with a fellow fan of your college football team and you asked, is so-and-so playing? You want to know who's on the list and who's not, who made the cut, who didn't. And of course, Matthew is writing to folks who have a Jewish background New Testament scholars tell us this because he doesn't explain Jewish customs and feasts. He simply assumes that the reader understands those customs and feasts. 
And that happens multiple times in Matthew's gospel. Matthew again and again in writing his gospel says, this was written in order to fulfill. In other words, he's going back to the Old Testament. He quotes and uses the Old Testament more than any other gospel writer. And so New Testament scholars tell us he was writing for Jewish readership. He himself understood Judaism and therefore had a Jewish background. And so it's natural he begins with Abraham, the father of Isaac. He wanted to say this goes all the way back to Abraham, the founder of a Jewish faith, and that's why he's writing the way he does. And then he adds... Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Abraham was indeed the father of Isaac. But Abraham was also the father of Ishmael, and Ishmael is not on the list. He didn't make it. And we also know Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob had a brother Esau. And there's no mention of Esau either. He didn't make the list. So what is Matthew doing? Why does he mention some and not others? Jacob is mentioned, the father of Judah and his brothers. Jacob had multiple sons, in fact. One of them was Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph with his coat of many colors? You'll recall that Joseph's brothers, Jacob among them, or Judah among them rather, physically attacked Joseph, stripped him of his clothes, and sold him into slavery. And Judah's on the list. What is going on here? Because the interesting dynamic is this, Judah's on the list, but Joseph is not. Joseph Joseph, who even though was sold into slavery, became one of the most powerful leaders in all of ancient Egypt when Egypt was at its zenith of power and influence in the Middle East. Joseph's not mentioned. Joseph, when you study him in detail, reminds us again and again and again and again that regardless of the circumstance we face, the invincibility and the invisible grace of God can be trusted regardless of your circumstance. In fact, if Joseph teaches us anything, he teaches us this, that in the sovereign providential purposes of God, providence has servants everywhere. Joseph dominates the final section of the book of Genesis, but he's not on the list. What is going on here? Why is he not there? We are also surprised when we see a number of ladies. Tamar is mentioned, as is Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary. Mary, we understand, the mother of Jesus a wonderful example of a godly, faith-filled life. Of course, she should have been on the list. But ladies are not known to appear in records or genealogies of families back in antiquity. So, why are the five ladies there? Rahab 
lived a dreadful life, beaten and abused for most of her life. But she's right there, an ancestor of Christ. Ruth, we understand, as faithfully, day after day, she held on to the purposes and grace of God. This is not a list of the successful, the accomplished. There are kings on the list, but none of them would have been Time Magazine Man of the Year. None of them. The kings are mixed in with those who are seemingly insignificant and instantly forgettable. If you take notes in the margin of your Bible, that's a good phrase to have right in there. This is a list of the seemingly insignificant and the instantly forgettable, and they were, absolutely. Because here is a list of people who struggled with their faith at times. A group of people who at times were disappointed and hurt by the circumstances of their life. And yet, by the grace of God and the sheer determination of His Spirit, this is a group of people whom God was able to persevere with. Think of Jacob, who deceived his father, stole from his brother, manipulated everyone and every circumstance he ever came across to his own selfish needs. That was Jacob. His name, in fact, means deceiver, liar, cheat, fraud, but he's right there. And God, in all of His love and grace, faithfully, consistently worked in the life of Jacob to refine him and fashion him and draw him into a relationship with himself. It is a remarkable group of people. At times, these folks did not understand what God was doing, but each of them would tell you this. There came a moment when in His love and grace He put His hand upon their lives, and their hearts were strangely warmed. And as those hearts were warmed by the love and grace of God, drawn into a relationship and intimacy with Him, their souls felt its worth. That's why Matthew begins with a list of names. That's why Matthew goes to great pains to lay it, lay it all out for us. Here is a group of 51 names, famous, infamous, kings, shepherds, merchants, military leaders, governors, carpenters, Jews, Gentiles, males, and females. And again and again and again and again, Matthew lists generation after generation. Why? Because he is creating and reflecting a timeline of the entirety of Scripture. And in so doing, this is what he's reminding his first readers of. He's saying, as you read this list, please remember what appears later in the chapter. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's why this list is the gateway, the golden gateway into the rest of the New Testament. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness and love and grace 
and persevering nature as he brings to pass his purpose and his will. And he did not stop at the beginning of the New Testament. He didn't even stop at the end of the New Testament. He continues right up to this day, persevering, shaping, refreshing, renewing, lavishing his love upon us. And so this week, when you begin to go into the second week of Advent, and you get caught up with the tinsel and the trees, and caught up with the music being played in the stores, and the need for that one perfect gift, and you go through all of the tasks that lie before you, let me add to that task. And you will probably be saying in your mind, okay, Richard, I was with you up to the air. Please do not give me one more thing to do this Christmas season. I am under so much pressure. The last thing I need is you to tell me to do something else. Well, may I suggest this? Slow down. Stop. Pause. Consider. Pray. Reflect. Stop doing and start being. Be the grandparent your grandchildren need you to be. Be the parent your children need you to be. Tuck them in at night. Read them the Christmas story. Pray with them. Spend time in the living room creating a fort out of the cushions on the couch. Play hide-and-seek with them around the home. These are the things that will impact them, and these are the things that will allow you, when you say, let's pray, they will pray, because they will see faith modeled for them. They will sense your love and your care. But don't be surprised if in investing in these little lives, the soul felt its worth. Take time for Him this week. Rest in Him. Rejoice in Him. And the next time you are tempted to skip over, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob, and on it goes and on it goes. Remember, it's a record of the faithfulness of God way back then. And also explains to us this, why people in Austria and Australia will celebrate Christmas this year. Why people in places as diverse as Guatemala and Georgia, Pretoria and Pittsburgh, Moscow and the Mississippi. And when you're asked to explain Christmas, when you're writing something that you hope will be compelling and attractive and enticing, you can trust Him as that story unfolds, as His love for you is a testimony to His faithfulness for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank You on this second Sunday of Advent that we can lift our hearts and voices in praise and adoration to You. We join countless millions down through the centuries 
who have loved you and been touched by your grace. Enable us, please, Father, to enjoy this Christmas season and to look forward to the birth of Christ with a sense of expectation and anticipation, knowing that as you are faithful back then, you will be faithful today. Oh, Father, touch our lives, our hearts. Enable each one of us to say, and the soul felt its worth. Father, bless us, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.